Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's Startup Equity Matters interview with Ben Chong from Founder Institute and Right Click Capital. These interviews and the podcast are for early stage founders, their teams, and investors. Capital raising and stock option plans are super hard, and we have to make them simpler so we can raise more capital, build more great companies. We're going to dive into this topic today. Not all the jargon and complexity. We're going to give you answers, actionable insights, and best practices. Hopefully, a couple of good stories of exits. Talk a bit about ownership culture as well. There might be a little bit of financial or legal stuff. This is all very general. This is not meant to be advice. So, yeah, don't be weird about it. <laughs> We're really happy to have Ben here. Now, we so often get asked about advisors, how to get good ones, how to remunerate them, how do advisors get paid in options. And Ben and the Founder Institute are our favorite resource for this. So, Ben, welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You have an awesome CV. We're grateful um, you know, to have you. Looking at your LinkedIn, a uh, partner at Right Click Capital, general partner at Sydney Seed Fund, co-director of the Founder Institute, and also an honorary associate of the Institute of Technology in Sydney. So pretty good um, rap sheet there, mate. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jason. Tell us a little bit about Right Click Capital first, um, just to um, give the people a little bit more context. We're an Australian-based venture capital fund. We invest in technology companies across Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia. We love software, we like deep technology, and we also invest in IoT connected devices as the world becomes more and more connected. Amazing. And thank you for, um, you know, investing into the community. You know, uh, as a founder, we're all very grateful. <laughs> I also see Founder Institute. I think we originally met a year or two ago through Cheryl Mack. and. It's a mentoring for a cohort, great program and community for those that want to check it out. Would you tell us a little bit about the Founder Institute and your involvement there, please, mate? Sure. The Founder Institute is a worldwide network of mentors who want to help founders build meaningful and enduring technology companies. Started in Palo Alto, the heart of Silicon Valley, over 10 years ago, we've helped thousands of founders across over 150 cities around the world build their dream company. And we have a core program that runs for three months where founders have the opportunity to learn at the feet of mentors so that they're able to progress through their startup journey, hopefully a little faster than if they were working alone. Now, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. I think particularly for first-time founders, founders in the first couple of years of their journey, you know, learning from a community like Founder Institute is really going <laughs> to save you a hell of a lot of heartache and, and help you hack through those things. So all right, let's dig into this specific issue around startup advisors, um, the very important topic. I'm just going to a little bit of my admin out in open here because I'm an um, amateur <laughs> interviewer, so I'm going to set my timer so we don't talk too much. Thank you for bearing with me with that. All right, so let's get into it. So let's do the basics, Ben. Uh, what is a startup advisor? You know, what's the difference between an advisor and mentor and coach? Great question. I think sometimes these terms can be used interchangeably. But if you think about it, a coach is someone who usually works on one or two areas of their specialty. The coach need not necessarily be an absolute expert in the field of sport or in the field of business, but they help you to perform better. A mentor tends to be someone you get along with who usually has got experience that you look up to, who takes time out 
to assist you, to help you grow. Now, I'd say an advisor can play the role of a mentor, can play the role of a coach, but an advisor tends to be a more formal role. It can start off a little more organically, but it tends to be a more formal role. And it's like a formal role for a period of time, usually. (laughs) Sometimes it can be indefinite, but you usually want them to sign up for a particular time. And they're designed to help you grow your business as you go on the journey. And of course, there's stuff the advisor gets out of it too. Great answer. Fantastic. And just to dig into that a tiny bit more, so there can be different types of advisors, and I think specifically with a startup, you might have, if you're very early, you might have quite a general advisor that's helping you across the board, but then as you grow or if you have particular challenges, you could have a technology advisor, and you might have a go-to-market advisor, you might have a, an advisor specifically for a certain market. Does that sound right to you? I think that's right, Jason. It is a little bit like how long is a piece of string? It really depends for what the purpose And it also depends where you are in your startup journey or your business growth journey and if you're missing something. So let's say I'm a business co-founder and I feel I need to have someone who is more of an expert in blockchain or I'm trying to do something in the insurance space. And while I have worked in insurance, I really would like an advisor on my team who's got 20 years worth of experience in that field Well, maybe it's good to find that advisor so that they're able to make sure you can hopefully better look around the corner. Oh, I love that, looking around corners. I use that very regularly. So you led me perfectly into the next question, which is why are advisors valuable? I'm going to give a little bit of a a cake perspective if everybody can give me that time because we've had some wonderful advisors over the years, both both sort of formal and informal. I mean, right in the beginning when my co-founder and I were starting out, we had a, a product advisor, uh, Chris Saad, very well-known product advisor, ex-Uber, really to try and get that product thinking into the company. Um, then as we progressed, we had Dean McAvoy, you know, another very well-known Australian advisor, come on and help us uh, to open up new markets and networks and help us to crack our business model. As we progressed along, you know, we've had help from, Lauren Kaplan, again, from a networking perspective, that was a a non-formal advice. We've had our VC, Rampasan, bring in advisors from their network to help us with particular problems. And look, being part of Startmate was a huge advantage for us because it's just full of incredible advisors and some of them act as mentors. But then that mentor network can be a great place to actually then formalize that a little bit more into advisory roles. And so we certainly wouldn't be where we are today without the advisors and mentors that we have. But from your perspective, Ben, um, you know, anything to add on the benefits to the startup from these advisors? I think there's some great examples that you provide there, Jason. I would say the thing that you've highlighted is that the types of advisors you might engage with may change over the course of your startup's life cycle. So in the early days, you might need more help with product. You might, as you get a bit larger, need more help with how do I position my business to be able to expand into international markets. And then as the business gets perhaps even more progressed, you're thinking, how do I build a really high-performing team around me, particularly a team that might be of different geographies, it might be somewhat remote. So what are those experiences? What are the gaps that I have or our team has that could benefit from an advisor. 
hundred percent. And just to dig in a little bit to that looking around corners thing that you talked about before, the one of the most obvious things to me now after being a founder for nearly you know five years or so is how much you have to learn, how quickly you have to learn, and how every like three to six months you have to relearn a completely new, very difficult skill set. And so you just constantly need these people that are like a year or two ahead of you, ideally, or or have a very niche skill that you need to be able to help you jump forward in this learning that you just, I couldn't imagine having to do it from a book or like, and you can't do it without learning, it would be impossible. So yeah, like it's just the seeing around the corners thing, I think is the ultimate benefit to a startup. Definitely. And, and look, if you think about it, we've all benefited from standing on the shoulders of others. Whether in a preschool, we had someone teaching us the numbers and the alphabet. In primary school, we had people teaching us how to interact with others. <laughs> in high school, whether you went to the school. Hopefully. <laughs> whether you're in high school. Then you learn it one way or the other. <laughs> you just think about those people who you have been able to, to benefit from. Yep. And I think a lot about that when it comes to, to startup life. We should always be open to being challenged and to learning. Being humble, learning fast, understanding that people want to give back. Like I think it can be hard initially to ask for help, but every successful founder has had so much help and they want to pass it on. So I think that that's a really important insight that, that founders need to be aware of. For sure, and, and it's a two-way street too. So in as much as you might be asking an advisor, going back to my insurance example, to give you help and feedback around what they've seen, what patterns they've seen in the last 20 years of their insurance journey, well, they're probably getting juiced up by seeing what you're doing. What is the problem, that special problem that you're trying to solve with your solution they're probably juiced up by how do you go about knocking on doors and winning the attention of your potential customers. So it is a, it is a two-way street. They do learn and they get juiced from being with smaller, nimble companies that are trying to do something better. 100% can keep them young, can keep them engaged into new technology. I think that um, I've never worked with a founder that didn't seem energized by what we were doing so really important insight there that you know on the two-way street so we will dig into a couple of those things a little bit more as we go let's talk about finding the right advisors i guess my view is that you want advisors from day one and then we've already talked about how they change over time we can dig into that a little bit how about yourself what's your thoughts on on where and when to find the right advisors i think there are a couple of ways you can go about it one is being part of your local startup community. So being part of, as you were saying, whether it's well-known programs, whether it is being part of a co-working space that encourages mentors and potential advisors to come through the doors, being part of a community is very important. I'd also say being able to create connections with people who might know other people. So I've benefited from advisors who have been referred to me by a friend. So they're a friend's friend or a friend's contact. And then I've gone and reached out to them. And it's often started out as uh, organic. Can we have a, a coffee? And then maybe, oh, that was a fantastic conversation. I'd really like to take you out for lunch so that I can learn a little bit more and we can build a relationship. 
And similarly to a mentor relationship, I think with an advisor, you do want to get to know them. You want to see them over a couple of meetings, see if there's that chemistry, see if there's an interest, and then we can later talk about how you might bring that to a more formal arrangement. I love that. It really resonates with me. Always advocating founders, you know, getting involved in communities. Many of them do that naturally, but but many don't. And from my perspective, I guess, being from a regional city and, you know, not to hassle the Gold Coast because I love the Gold Coast and it's growing up fast. But I think, you know, if you're in Sydney, if you're in San Francisco, you know, if you're really in one of these hubs where the concentration of mentors and advice are very high and the quality is very, very high, I think it can be a little bit easier. But I think it's important when you're looking at the communities that you get involved in, that you look for that level of excellence and experience, it does really help you to choose the right advisors and perhaps not spend time with advisors that aren't as as um, fit for the job. So for me, it's like looking for, if you're a SaaS, you want to look for someone that's done SaaS scale-up and, and really has that experience and you want it to be as, as relevant and recent as possible I'd also add accelerator networks from my experience are wonderful places to find advisors. And like you said, quite often you'll see them as a mentor first. And it's great to spend time with an advisor as a mentor before you formalize it because this they play such an important role. And if you get the wrong advisor, it can take you three or six months to understand that. And of course, these things happen. That's fine. But that those early discussions, those mentor relationships can help you choose really well there. And then we talked a little bit about how they change over time. So from Cake's perspective, of course, how do we set our business model up from day one was the first one. And how do you be SaaS? And like, should we do this or that? And all these really early stage things that, you know, seem like ridiculous now, but like you got to learn them somehow. <laughs> You know, and then it becomes, all right, well, how do we get to 1 million ARR and, and how do we go expand globally? And now it's like, you know, how do we get to 10 million ARR and how do we build an executive team and like what do founders do when they have an executive team and like all these new changes that come through over time. And one thing I like to talk to founders about is just have monthly or quarterly catch-ups with your advisors and just make sure the relationship is still valuable in both ways. And I'm, I'm, you will find that advisors are normally happy to split up and go advise somebody else if, if things aren't working out and it's not normally anyone's done anything wrong and can just be, hey, look, we've kind of grown up past that now. We need to take our advisory budget and utilize it in a way that makes more sense for us. Exactly. And I think to that point, there is no necessarily one right way to build and to continue the relationship with an advisor. So I know of some founders who will arrange a a monthly call, maybe it's a half an hour or hourly call once a month with an advisor. I must say there is something good, I think, about scheduling things in the diary. I agree. Random calls whenever I feel like it. Of course, you can make another call in between that half-hour monthly catch-up, but having that in the diary is a, is a helpful cadence and a touch point. And I know there's uh, another group of founders who have benefited where they might have two advisors or three advisors and they will have a more formal advisory committee-type meeting with those advisors, not once a month. <laughs> that would be a little too frequent, but it might be every two or three months, maybe four meetings over the course of a year, and maybe two of those meetings are in person because, again, there's nothing like being able to go and have a lunch or have a drink or a dinner after the advisory committee meeting with those advisors. 
it's almost like the beginning of a board, isn't it? So it yeah. goes in a slightly different path. I've certainly seen founders that have like a little sort of like advisory board and they all sit together, they problem solve together and they, you know, you probably still do have like a, a broad skill set within your advisory group, but, you know, do it together. What Cake's chosen to do is have specific advisors for specific things and they they meet with the individual leaders um, to help them see around those corners and perhaps it, sometimes it's just like a sounding board. You know, when you're talking out loud to someone, like the penny's dropping all the time and they can give you little nuggets. And so we have one on engineering, we have one on culture, we have one for ops, you know, and so all the leaders kind of have someone that that helps them and it's a wonderful way for us. But I think over time, I'd quite like to have, you know, an advisory board of sorts where we can, you know, look to try and take the whole company forward together. Um, so I guess there's different ways to skin that cat. Exactly. And sometimes too much formality in the early days is overkill, as I think you're suggesting, Jason. So I really like the idea of having different advisors who are known for a particular skill or level of experience. So, yes, your people and culture leader can float the balloon <laughs> in front of that advisor and go, I'm thinking of this. What's your feedback? So cool. And how should we compensate these advisors? I think you've got uh, like there's intrinsic value, you know, they want to come on the mission and everything and that's nice. And But like there needs to be compensation, I think. There needs to be some skin in the game to build trust and and make sure that this relationship is meaningful. And there's, I guess, there's cash remuneration and equity remuneration. Have you got it? What would you say about both those things from your perspective and experience? I'm going to say something that in itself might be contradictory, but I'll explain. In the early stages of businesses' life, cash is critical. So you've got to watch your cash. And at the same time, we know that equity can be very valuable. Now, Cake helps you manage <laughs> your equity. It allows everyone. It does, but we've also seen how fast it can disappear. So you need to be really careful with that as well. You do need to be careful. You do need to be judicious. My general guidance is if you can provide equity to people, that is good form of remuneration because it is tied to long-term alignment. As a founder, I shouldn't be too interested in my salary. Of course, I need to have a salary to be able to pay bills, to not have a distraction in my mind around how am I going to live for the next year. When it comes to advisors, I would suggest if you're able to come to an arrangement where you can give them equity and the equity vests over time, that is a really good way of making sure that there is an alignment because their payoff financially is when the business succeeds. I 100% agree. I think cash is so hard to come by very early on and, and needs to be retained, used as efficiently as possible. And if you can utilise your equity for your advisors, it's a much better fit from an alignment perspective, as you say, and to get the cash burned down. Sometimes it's part cash, part equity. So some yeah. advisors might want a little bit of cash along the way. So if you can get you know 50% of their deal in equity or 75% of their deal in equity, that can be a nice situation as well. Some advisors just feel like getting some cash makes the company feel a little bit more invested in that relationship, and I can sort of feel that as well. But I think in general, you want to use your equity for your advisory board as much as possible. That's just from my experience. Yeah, I, I concur, Jason. And 
And obviously, if you've got an advisor who is in another city or a different town and you're wanting them to meet up, it would be very fair for the company <laughs> to pay for their travel expenses <laughs> so they're not out of pocket. But, yes, if you're able to use the equity, that is preferable. Well, we couldn't have segued ourselves better into the Founder Institute fast, which is kind of a, the hero of the session. You know, from my experience, I don't know exactly when I stumbled across it, but we were grappling with this. You know, we knew we needed advisors. We were paying some cash. We are paying some equity. And it just didn't feel like systemized and streamlined and fair. And, and then somebody showed it to me one day and I thought, wow, you know, like, it's standardized. It helps you calculate how much to give everybody. You can kind of have everybody on the same deal, which is always a nice thing in a startup because you don't have this whole lot. Am I more valuable than them or any of that stuff? Overall, love it. We use it here with our advisors and, and we recommend it. So, yeah, would you mind telling us a little bit about the agreement, where it came from, you know, why you guys love it, and just give everyone like an overview of, of sure. the agreement? Well, the FAST stands for the Founder Advisor Standard Template, and it was put together by Founder Institute some years ago, over 10 years ago, and it's been updated since. And what it sets out, some principles and guidelines around how to remunerate advisors to your startup. In fact, it sets out some guidance around the percentage of equity you might want to give them based on the stage of your company and their level of involvement. So clearly if your company is a really early stage company and their level of involvement is lower, well, the amount of equity they get will be different to if you're the same early stage company and their level of involvement is very high. And in the same breath, if your company is more progressed, well, the actual percentage of equity they ought to get in our view, ought to be a little less. That's because the value of your company should have increased significantly <laughs> since yeah. it was a bit small. <laughs> We've all worked with companies where they're like, well, how do I value my company? I'm in between rounds or I haven't done a valuation yet. I've been doing safes. Like it can get so weird and then you've got to do special valuations for people and nobody wants to deal with any of that. And you just get this nice little table that says, look, can we just agree which like section I'm in? Great. Is everybody else using this? And it's all fair and reasonable and, like, it's just saves so many headaches. That's right, because it's used by lots of people and the data in there, so the suggested percentages, has come from a lot of the Founder Institute companies, which is quite a few, along with other startup companies, not only in the United States but across the world. So there is some benchmarking that has gone into this. Yep. And like any tool... No one tool is completely perfect, but I think as you're saying, Jason, can we agree that we're roughly in this bracket? Okay, let's do this. Because if you think about it, no compensation plan or policy is 100% correct, but you want it to be at least 80 90% correct <laughs> in the right ballpark. You have got so many problems getting up to Series A. You need to hack every single one of them to have any chance of making it there. Momentum is critical. So if yeah. you're spending weeks mucking around, doing deals with every advisor, you are in big trouble. So I'm a huge, huge advocate for that. Jumping in, just playing a little bit of devil's advocate or like just testing a little bit, looking for an edge case. Some people will say, hey, like it's not enough, you know, like 
I feel like I'm worth more than that. Have you come across that feedback? Are you you happy to sort of chat through that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I'm really happy. I'd say if you feel that there is an advisor who could potentially add significant value, you could try to agree something with them beforehand or if there is trust, you could let them know, why don't we start off with this and if things come off well, we may be able to give you more. Now, you can't make that statement unless you truly believe it, <laughs> that you will want to give them more <laughs> because it all comes with like this trust there. But, yeah, I think it's a bit of a, a negotiation. What you've done there is also set me up for the, the cake system. So, you know, you'll sign that fast, but you still need to give them the equity offer. And so, you know, you would sign that agreement, then you can go into cake, you can put in the terms and you can send them their equity offer. And so you might have the standard fast for 90% of your advisors, but just say someone is extra valuable. What you could do is have a milestone-based separate ESOP offer or the same offer with you know with two components to it that says, great, you can outperform in this way, like a major partner or like some major customer or something, which it can be incredibly valuable. There's a bit more equity on the table here, but perhaps we can separate that. Love, yes. how you, love how you tackled that. Well done. And that's going to lead me into, or do, do you think we covered the fast well enough there? I want to make sure we give it enough space. Yeah, I, I would say check it out. It's on the Founder Institute website. It's free for any founder worldwide to download and to take advantage of. Go for it. Love it. Love it. Look, we're big believers in that. A lot of the CAIG agreements are similar in that they've been used so many times. They've had so many founders and lawyers and everybody look at them that they're really, really quick and easy to use. So don't be scared to look at the other agreements that are built into the CAIG system. Just take the opportunity for a quick plug there. Let's finish off with some F-ups and some successes that we can talk to just to help people understand like practically you know, how it can go wrong and how it can go right. So we talked a little bit about like how much advisors can get. So certainly from my perspective, I've seen accountants with 10%. I've seen like the first software development company with 10%. I've seen an advisor doing half a day a month with 10% or asking for 10%. Wow. Crazy. I think there are some people who I would suggest are unreasonable. So if accountant is asking for 10%, unless they are a co-founder type person or investing capital, as in cash cash, there must be something very special they're doing in order to get that. Put another way. That it's not going to be the case, right? That's not going to be happening. That's very unorthodox in my opinion. Be, <laughs> let's tell everyone, 1% to 2% over yeah. two years is what advisors get. Don't be giving them fives or tens exactly. or anything yeah. like that unless they're a co-founder or they're working on the company every day. That's different. But yeah. <laughs> and you're 100% not. I think the other thing is that if you've got an advisor who asks for shares that cannot be diluted, that to me is an alarm bell. As a founder, my shares will get diluted when a venture capitalist or when an angel or when new ESOP <laughs> scheme gets put in place. So we all get diluted. So people who ask for that, that's weird. I think having very clear goals, and this is like the difference between a mentor and an advisor, having clear expectations and having that written down. So if you're able to do that as part of the equity offer, all the more because 
I think when there is ambiguity or um, mismatch of expectations, that's when people go, oh, I thought a half an hour call once every six weeks is enough. It's like, no, dude, I need you to make introductions to these people in your Rolodex. Come on. hundred <laughs> percent. And the Founder Institute does it. It steps it out and then you should have a separate agreement, you know, so love it, love it. All right, let's, let's finish on a high. I've, I've gone a little bit long. Sorry, Ben, but we'll finish up now on a high. Sure. Share stories. You know, from Cake's perspective, you know, there's no way we would be where we are without our advisors. I've already talked about some of them. You know, we've got, we had advisors initially for business model. We've had go-to-market advisors. We've had just champions that would really help us that perhaps didn't get equity. We had some that like just our first round and our second round and like we had ones that did global research for us. Like we've just had so much help. We're so, so grateful for those people. And they have had a great time doing it too, I must admit. You know, like it's it's fun for them. What about yourself, mate? Any any big success stories that we can highlight and, and finish off with? I would say it's much the same. I've been so lucky to have benefited from these advisors. And what we try to do, we don't always get it right, but we try to acknowledge them, whether it's... Uh, a thank you note, whether it's a little gift from time to time or taking them out for a lunch. I think being able to recognise them and have them on the journey with you. Even people who might have been your advisors, some of my advisors from a couple of years ago, we still try to stay in touch with them because ultimately they're part of the extended family of cheerleaders, of people who in future you might need a reference or in future they might be able to give you an introduction to so-and-so, being able to bring people along for the ride so that they can say, huh, Jason, Kate, they're good people. We want to deal with them. They're people who say what they do. Yeah. And they learn from their mistakes to become even better. Fantastic. Yeah, there's no currency like that on the planet in 2022 and beyond. I totally, totally appreciate that. Ben, really appreciate your time. I think we smashed it. Um, I'm sure we've helped founders and startup crew out there uh, through this topic. Look, Cake loves unearthing hacks and guides for founders and startups. Check out our website and our YouTube. Definitely check out Ben and Right Click Capital and the Founder Institute as well. Thanks again, Ben. Everybody have a great one. See ya. See ya.